Hello, and welcome back to Full Cup Professionals, a podcast for social service providers and helping professionals. If you serve people, if you work with people, then this is a podcast for you. I'm one of your hosts, Krista Mayfield. And I'm your other host, Faith Larson. And today we talked with Tina Bauer, who's an advocate for foster and adoption care kids. And we were really diving into what it's like to advocate when you have lived experience in the area that you're advocating for. And Tina was just so gracious and kind and and loving and truthful in her answers. She really shined a light on how hard it can be to work in a space where you have lived experience and, you know, what are the key ingredients to taking care of yourself and showing up with a full cup when you have that underlying trauma yourself. She shared about kind of that balance or that go-between between advocating being healing and also hard. We talked about resourcing ourselves. We talked about having boundaries and communicating. And it was such an insightful conversation for anyone who is working in a space where you have lived experience in that area. I think her insight and wisdom is so valuable and helpful. So we are so thankful that you're here. Let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to the Full Cup Professionals podcast. And I'm Luke. This is my loot cup, and I'm drinking uh, water. Oh my gosh, welcome. (laughs) So that was my son. He's been like so ecstatic to be on the podcast. For his birthday, we did a yes day, and one of the things that he asked for was that he could come on the podcast and talk, and so I said yes, because it was a yes day. (laughs) (laughs) The premise is that you can't say no. And so today was the first time since his birthday that we've, that we've recorded. And so he's just, he was so excited to get on and, and to do the intro for us and to say what was in his cup. So yeah, thank y'all for letting him be our little third co-host for today. We love that. He is our favorite. Speaking of cup, Faith, what are you drinking today? Yes, I am drinking water. We actually just got back from the park. And so we're just drinking some good old, good old fashioned water, but I have it in my gotta have faith cup. And so he had a Luke cup. I have a faith cup where, you know, we're just matching mom and son cups today. I love that. Absolutely. What do you got in your cup over there? I've just got some tea. We're trying to get all of the herbs in. I put in a big herb order recently And I'll do an episode on what herbs I use on the regular and why, because, you know, I've talked about herbal infusions before and they're my favorite. So I've restocked all my infusion herbs. So that's exciting. Yeah. I I still want to do that taste test. Like maybe for our last episode of the season, we can do it in person. You can walk us through like how you infuse everything and then I can taste it. We can do like a little live taste test. Yeah, I think so too. I love it. All right. Well, let's jump in. We are here for episode 11 of Full Cut Professionals with an interview I've been really excited about. This guest is someone that I put on my list, I think, the very first day we were brainstorming potential guests. Our guest today is Tina Bauer. Tina is a wife, a mother, a coffee enthusiast, and a social media manager. When she's not recruiting for kids in foster care to be adopted, you can find her walking her dog or cuddled up with a cozy blanket watching Gilmore Girls. Love that. So fun. Today's episode, we are talking about what it's like to be an advocate and to work in spaces 
where you also have lived experience. And so today we're kind of unpacking that kind of compounded trauma that people can experience when you are advocating for something, when you're working in a certain area, but you also have a lived experience in that experience or that life circumstance yourself. And so I'm so thankful, Tina, that you're here today to just share a little bit about your life, your work, and how you take care of yourself or the struggles that you feel in this experience. So thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and just share a little bit about this. Awesome. So just to kind of get us started and get our audience caught up to speed, because I've known you for a long time, could you just share a bit about who you are and really your journey into advocating for youth in care? Yeah. Um, so my life began in foster care. I entered foster care when I was about six months old. And um, if you know anything about child psychology and babies, like the first four years of life are very important. Um, and those first four years of life were not, they were just not good for me. Pretty much anything that could go wrong went wrong. It was just not a good foundation for life. So I was in foster care and then um, I was adopted when I was almost five with my brother. Um, and that, you know, that ended up being a really good thing, which is, which is awesome. That is not always the case. So I'm really grateful um, for that. And I grew up in a, a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I was homeschooled just because it seemed to fit my educational needs best. Um, and I had a lot of extracurriculars, which I think really played a huge part in um, my healing. I did theater. I did canoeing. I did like just lots of different things. And um, I just think it really helped me not having to sit at a desk all day, every day. And then I, let's see, what did I do after that? Um, I went to Africa and I was going to move there. Um, and then I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and, but I really, you know, I really learned a lot there. Um, and then I came back and went to college to become a public school teacher. And I really love that. I really miss it every single day. And I feel like that's another instance too, like working in a field where yeah. the trauma comes up because public education is a trip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, my story, a very, very quick version. Um, and today, I, like I said earlier, um, I'm a social media manager um, and my job is to recruit for kids in foster care who are waiting to be adopted. That's incredible. When did you start turning your personal Instagram into kind of this platform to talk about foster care and advocacy? Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm not really sure. I think it was kind of like in like 2019-ish. Um, I got an internship with the nonprofit that I work with now, I got an internship with them to kind of share my story um, and to kind of work like in the behind the scenes of their organization, just to like help with like just language that's honoring to kids in care and their families and stuff like that, because it's a big need. Um, and so I started sharing my story on my personal Instagram that way. And then I had some bigger accounts, like befriend me and pick me up. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, it was never an intentional thing. It just happened, which has been like really exciting, but also like sometimes it feels like a full-time job. 
<laughs> because the more people you add, the more opinions you have. And that's kind of how it is. But yeah, I mean, I think that's where the opportunities have come in for like podcasts and like speaking engagements and blogs and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I've just seen in the last few years, you really take up space in a really beautiful way. And I remember from the first post, I guess, where I started realizing like, this is what she's talking about now on her social. And I wish I could remember like the exact post. I scrolled through your Instagram today and I was like, it's really far down there now because you're really good at (laughs) posting content. You're very consistent. Um, We're trying to get there. But I just remember it being like so, so true and so nuanced. And I just was like, this needed to be said and this truth and reality and like sometimes either the nuance or just the dichotomy of these kind of situations like need to be highlighted. And I've just seen you do that in such a beautiful way. And as I've seen your account grow, I've seen the kinds of content you talk about and the way that you portray yourself as a whole person. You talk about your son, you talked about teaching, um, you talk about foster care and adoption. The One of the posts I saw today was you talking about adoption is always, is always loss. And just, I think there's something about the way that you have shown up to just hold space for hard truth. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm so grateful. I don't know there's a question there, but I've always really admired your voice and especially the way that you are able to hold all of that tension. And I imagine as someone who has experienced it, that just seems to like, like I can kind of comprehend and wrap my brain around it. But I feel like if I were to have lived it, it would take a lot. <laughs> it would take a lot for me to get there. I don't know. What were some of those things that helped you see those things and then also realize, oh, I'm actually the person that needs to say this? Yeah. I feel like a lot of my posts are like weeks old reflections of things that I've learned myself or just things that I have thought about, you know, randomly. I have had several moments lately where I'm like, I don't have anything else to say. And then I'll be like, Never mind, I do. Um, <laughs> and I really love too, like what you said. Um, and I was actually talking to my best friend who has no connection to foster care adoption at all. She's just my best friend. And she said basically the same thing you just said. Like, I love that. I love that people who don't have a connection to it aren't really in that space. Like, of course, you care about people and things like that, but like, you're not a foster adoptive parent. But like, you still care. And I think that is kind of my point is like, I like to share these things to help raise awareness, to show people that like, yeah, not everybody's supposed to be a foster parent, but everybody can do something. And I think that's so important. But yeah, I think, you know, the words that I share often just like reflections of things that I've learned or I've seen, or even things that I wish my parents did when I was growing up. Or I don't know. I mean, words have just always been so special to me. Um, when I was growing up, it was hard for me to um, like talk to my parents. So I would write them letters. And I'd be like, this is why I'm mad at you. Um, <laughs> and I would write it in a letter. Um, and I still, you know, when I talk with parents now, even like in my very small um, consulting business, I encourage them. I'm like, look for other ways of communication um, because it's so common for kids have experienced trauma. Communicating is hard. 
And so just finding those different ways to communicate with their parents, like, you know, I think it makes, sometimes makes people feel uncomfortable from like, if they're talking to you, they're talking to you. Why does it matter how? Um, and so I think words have just been a really special thing for me. Actually, ironically, lately, it's been hard for me to like sit down and journal because it feels too vulnerable, which is funny. It's like, oh, I know, but like, I don't want to do that. But I've been, I've been doing it more lately. So that's been good. But yeah, I think it's just, you know, reflections of healing and things like that. Yeah. And I think too, like becoming a new mom has really like brought out a lot of stuff that I was kind of like, kind of like being hit by a train. Um, Just so much came up and has been coming up just again and again and again. Yeah. One of the things that you just said kind of struck me because I think probably a lot of people who have experienced trauma have that same feeling around communication. Like I wasn't allowed to say what I needed to say, or I felt like my voice was silenced in that moment, or I wasn't listened to or heard. My voice didn't matter. My voice didn't make a difference. And so then I think for a lot of people, part of that healing experience is finding that voice and finding that efficacy. But what I heard you say was like, even when you were younger, you found ways to use your voice and advocate for yourself. And so I just think that's like such a practical thing that if someone is looking to use their voice in the space and it feels hard or they feel stuck, find another avenue. Like it doesn't have to be what we see or we imagine sometimes that there are ways to communicate and be heard, even if it's not the traditional path and practicing using that voice. It's too hard to have this face-to-face conversation, but I can write you a letter. I think that's a tool for all of us, honestly, is like, yeah, take baby steps. Yeah, and I think that's a really important tool for parents, you know, not just adoptive parents, but all parents, you know, that like, if your child is willing to communicate with you, even if it is different than, you know, verbally, like your job as the parent is to accept that communication from your child and to make your child feel safe to communicate with you. And I think it's so great that your parents were, uh, were, you know, were in that space to allow you to do that, allow you to communicate with them on a level that you needed at the time. And because they did that, you have grown up to now be a, a voice for other people. You know, like there was a time where you didn't have your voice and your parents were like, okay, well, you can write words, so use that. And now look, you know, where you have come and what could have been so different if your parents said, no, we're not, we're not we won't accept these letters. You have to sit here and look us in the eye and tell us what you think. You know, like how different maybe your um, life could have gone, where you would have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. And I think too, yes, they had the opportunities, but also like I was just a kid who was like, it's this or nothing. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you'd be, you'd be surprised how many parents would say, okay, then nothing. Mm. And, and how sad that is. And it's so great that you are bringing awareness, you know, if it's this or nothing, parents don't pick nothing, you know, like pick this. Yeah. Just that power of being heard. As I've watched you share and talk about your past, talk about your current experiences with your child, talk about your work in this field. I've just from the outside watched and been like, man, I just, I know that there's a lot there. And I wonder how you have navigated that, how you have been able to reach back in your story and look ahead 
ahead in the present with your child and then be this kind of like reaching out person where you're not only talking about this issue, but you're also working in a nonprofit, all kind of immersed in this experience of talking about the traumas that you yourself faced. And so, I don't know, I just love to hear what that experience has been like for you and how you navigate and kind of hold all that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as I share about my experiences and how they've touched, like when I was a teacher and now as a parent and as somebody who was working, it's not really child welfare, but like with kids in foster care, I think one of the really important things to me is sharing how the trauma of foster care and adoption touches all those things. Yeah. Because I like to use it as a reminder for parents that like this impacts every aspect of your child's life. Like they're just not done by the time they're 18 or whatever. And I've seen that has been so true for me. I think about when I was a teacher, you know, I worked in a title one district, my district. I mean, my campus was like 98% minority. We had one white teacher at my school. Um, Like everybody, like the kids came from situations that I was adopted out of. And that was really, really triggering for me. I mean, it's not why I left, but it was just very hard. Um, I had several instances where I, of course, being a mandatory reporter, I suspected abuse, I had to report it. Um, And I had a few situations where I had to like do the reports, like even potentially talk with Child Protective Services. And I told my principal, like, I can't tell you how much I don't want to do that. Like, Like anybody but me, please. It was just... I felt like I was fighting with myself. Like I knew, like I never, ever want kids in unsafe situations. Never. But also like, I know what potentially like my testimony could do to a child's life. And I've been on the other side of like somebody reporting being removed from your home. So it's like those situations were so hard for me. And I think looking back at it now, like, I really wish that I had, like, walked out of work those days, but I didn't. And that was, you know, just a choice that I made. But it was just like, okay, this is, like, too close. This is too close to home. (laughs) This is, you know, too familiar. It was like that, like, it's too real. But then also, like, talking through it with my student, being able to reassure them that, like, you know, this is a safe place and they did the right thing. And, you know, thanking them for being honest with me and, you know, kind of like reassuring them and being there for them in a way. And at times kind of felt like I was, you know, reassuring my myself when I was young. Yeah. Because I, you know, that I think that was one of the really hard things for me when I was young is, you know, I went through all those things, but I didn't have anybody who was like me as an adult for me as a child. And so it was really hard. And so I think, you know, those instances, it was like, okay, this is, this is too real. You know, I think too, like another struggle that was just like, this is too close to home was just seeing parents who like on the outside, like didn't care, you know, just the constant reminders of neglect and stuff. I was like, okay, this is really hard. But then I think it also, too, helped me be able to give the other teachers perspective because it's extremely frustrating. Like, (laughs) it's just so hard to see that. But then it's also like, okay, like, we don't know 
we don't know what's deeper. We don't know why they're doing this, but it was just those types of situations. I was like, okay, I understand this a little too well. Um, and I think those are the moments when I was like, I would like to like be done with that part of my life and like move on. And I'm ready to be somebody else now because I'm tired of this being always hard, (laughs) you know? And then I think now with my job, I spend a lot of my time watching the interviews of the kids and they're sharing like why they want to be adopted and they're sharing like who they are in like two minutes or less. And, you know, it's just seeing those again and again. It's just like, wow. Like I, I know how they feel and I understand because I've been there. I've been where they're sitting and I think it can be really, frustrating because it's like, you know, this kid has been waiting since like 2021 and nobody has inquired to adopt them. Um, but then also like we'll post a kid and, you know, there'll be a kid that is like not, not a typical kid that people would want to adopt. Like people have their deals, unfortunately. And then we'll post a kid that's like probably assume won't do well. And then like, they'll do extremely well. And like, be matched like within the month or something like that to be adopted. And it's just like really mind blowing that like that's because of what we did. So, you know, those types of things, it's like, okay, it's like really cool, but it's also like, I think this is a little bit too real, (laughs) but I think it also gives, I've seen the good of it as well in like the very unique perspective. And, you know, if this were me, and then whenever I say that to my team, I'm like, if this were me, and I'm like, wait, when this was me, <laughs> like, you know, like, and like, if this were me, like, I would, I wouldn't want a shot where like, I'm like, you know, catching a ball and like my shirt comes up or something or like, like I am so like picky about the way I present the kids, how I present the kids and everything because I'm like, this is social media. Like they'll probably see it Mm. unless we take it down. Um, and so it's like trying to keep that in mind as we're doing it. It's just, it's really, it's a challenge. You know, I think too, it's also, I found it can be really healing for me because my brother and I, we didn't have anything like that when we were waiting to be adopted. It was just like this big box of paperwork, like outlining everything bad we had ever done or everything we didn't do. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's been really healing to be able to take these videos and pictures of kids that show a very small slice of who they are and then try to create it into something that will showcase who they are in 30 seconds of your life. Yeah. I think that's amazing how you've used your story and, and some of the things that you did not have, the gaps in services, you know, back when you were a kid to, and use that to springboard kids into adoption and into homes and, and really filling in those gaps because you have that lived experience. You're able to bring that compassion, that empathy to the table from a, from a whole different perspective. But it also sounds like it's taken a toll on you personally. How do you support yourself and take care of yourself? And, you know, on those days where you're like, hey, I actually need to walk out, but I can't because, you know, I'm the professional in the room, so I can't walk out. How do you go home and take care of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it is just starting to like listen to my body. Like if I feel like a stress headache coming on, like just like 
closing the computer and not trying to push through it, you know, or drinking water, more water than caffeine or actually like eating three meals, you know, that's simple. Yeah. Thing. So <laughs> meeting your basic needs. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, you know, that's, it's been a lifelong struggle for me and, you know, as somebody who experienced extreme neglect, um, I did not experience food being my main, main source of nourishment until I was adopted. Wow. Um, and so that really messed me up. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, it's kind of like those gaps sometimes come back in stress, which I know is really Yeah, that's common. very common. And I think too, like communicating with my husband, like I need a break. Like I need to go walk around Target aimlessly without you and without the child. (laughs) (laughs) Like you guys can come, but like you can be over there and I'm going to be over here. And it's like, you don't know me, but also please make sure nobody hurts me. You know, it's kind of like that. Like, cause you know, we have social anxiety. Um, (laughs) But it's things like that. Like just learning to communicate and share, like I need help or I need this. And that's, that's really hard for me. Um, You know, kind of like what Chris said earlier, like I, when I was in foster care, my foster mom, she didn't like me. Whenever I expressed need, she would physically hurt me. Mm. Um, and so that's, it's been a lifelong struggle for me. And, you know, it's not that I think my husband's going to hurt me. It's just like a mental a mental block for me at times. And sometimes it's, you know, I'll walk up to him and be like, hey, I need a break. Or I'll be like, hey, I'm going to text you because I don't want to say this to your face. <laughs> so just things like that. And I think too, you know, like taking, taking initiative for my own health is hard. I know there's always like memes about it, like calling the doctor as an adult. Like it's so scary. They're like, I have no idea what I'm saying. But also like, you know, I've learned to take initiative, like finding a therapist, um, finding a good psychiatrist is so hard, but like getting good care in those areas and like medicine management um, I think I finally now have a good medicine combo. Getting pregnant in the middle and having a baby did not help. There's so many limitations. But also, I was like, I have to have a therapist and a psychiatrist on call if I'm going to do that. Because um, I knew it was going to be hard and it was. <laughs> so, you know, just I think things like that, like having those things in place before a crisis is so important. And I actually said that with a parent in a session the other day I was like do you have a therapist she was like no I'm like well you probably need one um, and I was like and even a psychiatrist like find one even if you don't need medication now like having it ready yeah. so that in your time of crisis you're not like I don't have anything because we all know that in crisis you can't think <laughs> yeah you're not trying to get help in the midst of a crisis you already have all your supports set up yeah yeah totally I'm so glad you highlighted that because that's a huge thing that can either determine between the success of, you know, just any parent, but especially an adoptive parent. If you're adopting a child who's high needs coming in and you're not used to, you know, dealing with high trauma and then you bring a kid into your home who is um, high trauma and high needs, having that support system laid out, you know, a therapist, a psychiatrist, you know, who's my safe friend that I can call and vent and not be worried about who's going to judge me. How can I communicate my needs to my partner, you know, and how can I listen to my body and meet my own basic needs? Like those are all such great ways to set people up for success, you know? 
And you're so right. Like when you do grow up with uh, food insecurities and when your basic needs are not met during those, you know, four years that you're talking about, those four key years in attachment, it is hard as an adult to meet your own needs because your needs weren't met. You know, like that's what attachment theory says is when we grow up to be adults, we interface with the world based off of how our needs were met. And so if you were a child and your needs weren't met, when you grow up to be an adult, it's hard to meet your needs. And to even know, oh, I need to be meeting my needs, you know, and, and walking through all of that. And so it sounds like you've had such good support and been able to walk through all of that hard to be able to show up for yourself in the way that you need to now. And then you're sharing that with other people, which is so important. And, you know, I just want to thank you for sharing your story and, and for highlighting those aspects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard and this was like in a business context, but I, as you were talking, I was like, wow, I think this really applies here. And they said, successful people are resourced people. Mm. And in this context about like business growth and entrepreneurship, they were saying like, sometimes we look at people who are successful and just think it's inherent, but really they just have the resources they need to get where they want to go. And as you were talking just about, you know, how you're communicating with your husband, your therapist, your psychiatrist. These are resources that you have pulled in and and chosen and fostered and cultivated so that you can have that support to be successful. And I think sometimes we feel that pressure to just be perfect, to be quote unquote better. Yeah. to And to do it all ourselves. And so I love that that has been part of your story and something that I've I've heard you say a couple of times, well, I've heard you say a couple of things. I've heard you say, it's been healing for me to fill in the blank. And then I've also heard you say, it's been hard too. I think when when people are working in a field where they're trying to serve or rectify whatever social justice or situation they're, that they experience themselves, I think both of those can be equally true and look different for different people. How has it been? Have you felt like I'm doing this because it's, I see that it's helpful and it's healing for me. It's both and, and I think you hold that so well. So I don't know, how has that looked like for you, that balance or that journey between the two? You know, I think if I'm understanding what you're saying, are you meaning like in areas of like work, like teaching and um, working for the nonprofit and things like that? Right. Yes. Like in your own social platform, in your job as a teacher, um, you are showing up for people to serve and it can be both healing and hard in different varying measures. Right. For sure. Um, You know, I think I've always been someone who has seen that life is very fragile. You know, I think I've always wanted to make sure that what I'm doing has a purpose. Um, And so I think that really inspires me to jump into the the hard things, um, which I think is like really, it's very much who I am, but also like my husband and even my mom are like, not everything has to be hard or like amazing. Like you can do things that are just fun, Tina. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'll do that later. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a balance of like, I want to do something that has a purpose. Um, and I think, you know, it's very natural to gravitate towards things that I relate to, whether it's in like, you know, adoption, recruitment or teaching. Yeah. I think that's really my motivation for that and how I have 
kind of just put myself in those situations. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question exactly. This episode of Full Cup Professionals is sponsored by Good Sustained. Good Sustained is a workplace wellness and stress resilience consulting company specifically for social service providers working in high trauma spaces. In this episode, you hear Tina Bauer share about what it's like to have lived experience and navigate her own trauma while she is working to make the situation better for other people. And we talked about how as organizations or as leadership, there are things we can do to make that experience better, more healing, more safe for those that do have lived experience. But to be quite honest, we all have lived experience of something. We're all bringing our own stories into our work. And that's something we need to be mindful of as we're crafting our policies, our practices, our operations, as we make our plans and our schedules and our strategic overviews for the year. And sometimes we get really caught in the vision and we miss the people involved. Sometimes having an added support system to hold space for those conversations is so key. So Good Sustained can come in and sit with you, hear what your goals are, what your plans are, what your needs are, and help you kind of navigate what policies and practices are helping, what aren't helping. Where in your operations could there be more room for flexibility, for team building, for self-care? What does your staff need to continue to show up and do their work with excellence, but also feel well and healthy and whole themselves? Having support as you are navigating those kinds of conversations is honestly key to just getting things done because you are mission focused and your head is in that space. And so having someone else to come in can be really supportive. So I'd love to support you and your organization as you are navigating those conversations, helping find ways to take better care of your staff and your team, and especially those with lived experience, as you guys do such beautiful, incredible work. You can head to my website, goodsustained.com, and fill out an interest form, and I'll be in touch. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I think having been in the social services world for a while, and as someone who does not have lived experience, what I hear and see often is this kind of idea that like the epitome of healing or redemption is that a person would like go through something and then be an advocate in that space. And I'm kind of just like (laughs) rolling my eyes over here because I think as outsiders and as the community as a whole or in general, I think we need to stop being the ones that get to decide what healing looks like and step back and listen, you know, just close your mouth, open your ears and listen to the people that are walking in these spaces and hear what is, what does healing look like for you? What does full circle actually mean? Does it mean that you become an advocate in this space? Because I don't think that that is the epitome of redemption. And I think we might do a lot of people a disservice if we continue to have that idolization a little bit. And yet it's incredible and such a gift when people do come back in this space, if that's what they want to do. And so, I don't know, I think 
this sounds to me as you're talking, like this has been part of your healing journey, but it's not. It's not the thing that fostered the healing. Like you were able to come back and be an advocate because you got healing and because you started listening and advocating for yourself. And after you did that, then you're like, oh, now I can come back and advocate for other people. And I think sometimes, um, especially in the world that Krista and I came, the nonprofit world and population that we came from, we get so excited about the like, hey, come back and advocate for other people that we forget that, hey, take time to heal <laughs> and really find that restoration, you know, so that when you decide to come back and advocate on your own, you're doing it from that place of healing and not from that place of hurt. And, you know, I also love that you highlighted, like, you know, I want everything that I do to have purpose. And I think that's also a very common theme for um, helping professionals in general. Like we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this in our very first episode. 99% of helping professionals got into whatever helping profession they are in because of some sort of trauma that drove them to find purpose in this area or to help people. And a lot of times that's where the boundary violations come up. And that's where the, we work 24 seven and, and forget to stop working. And, you know, I have to help every single person and I can't ever stop and take care of myself. And when we learn to show up from a place of healing and wholeness, you know, from dealing with our own stuff that brought us to the table, you know, having purpose is good but having purpose and boundaries is better, (laughs) you know, is better for everybody. Yeah. And so, you know, I I love it that you highlighted that, you know, that you wanted everything to have purpose, but it doesn't also have purpose doesn't have to mean hard. It can mean purpose and joy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to me what you said, Krista, about like in the nonprofit world, like the goal is like having, having survivors come back and, you know, repeating that cycle, you know, and I think that's, you know, one thing that I've had to learn to balance in my work in a nonprofit is, you know, learning to be honest with my boss and be like, I like on January was human trafficking awareness month. That's part of my story. And I was like, I was like, I will do one post on that. And that's it. I'm not doing more. It's too close to home. It's not something I want to do. And, you know, just learning to like, gently remind you know your coworkers and your boss like this is real for me this is something I've been through and I think too like you know if I was to give anybody advice in nonprofits about that it would be that like if you have people with lived experience on staff like you need to make sure they're getting their vacation days and things like that because like you said if it's like it's easy to get head down and just like you know we're gonna help until we're burnt out and then Nothing good can come of that, unfortunately. And I saw that so much in teaching. Like, I feel like that's every teacher, unfortunately. It's just so, so much like that. I love how you said, like, you know, it's my story, so I get to decide. Instead of, like, you know, sometimes the people that are asking you to make these posts, and not just you specifically, but, um, you know, the concept of asking survivors to come back and share their story, you know, it's coming from a place of good intentions, but it's great that you highlighted, like, it's your story to share when you want to. It's not our story to exploit, even if it's for a good purpose. And it's great that you have learned how to advocate for yourself in that way and say, nope, one post is all it, is all you get because it's my choice to decide how much of myself and how much of my story I, 
I share. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I'm sure Chris has seen me say this on my, on my account, but like, that's my bread and my butter is like reminding foster adoptive parents, like your kid's story is not, is not for you to share. It's just not like you can advocate for foster parent adoption without exploiting their story. Like, I'm sorry, but you can. So, cause I just, I see it all the time and I'm like, Oh, so bad. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about that balance? Cause you have said balance a couple of times. So can you tell us, you know, just for yourself, where you found that balance between sharing your story, protecting your story, and then advocating, you know, using your story to advocate for others. Like, where did you find that balance? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, whenever I share pieces of my story, I always try to ask myself, like, what's what I want people to walk away with in the end. And I think I find so much of the time that like juicy details aren't necessary for people to walk away with like a new perspective or being challenged or, you know, whatever. So, you know, I think keeping that mindset, um, and then I think too, I've had some natural, um, boundaries that have just fallen into place. I was in a closed adoption most of my life. And so knowing that my birth family is out there probably on social media really helped me limit what I shared because I was like, well, if I was them, I wouldn't want to read everything. So just learning to like, you know, be mindful of others involved you know, that I think that was a natural boundary that I had. Um, and I think too, like, because I was adopted with my brother, like parts, our story is obviously like intertwined at parts. Um, and so learning that, you know, sometimes there's things I can't share because it's part of his story too. And a lot of people I speak with or speak to know him. And so it's like, okay, like, I don't want him to be upset with me because I said, whatever. Um, and so I think just things like that, you know, I think too, if I don't know how to say it, then I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't say it. Mm. Um, that's one thing I really think a lot of the time. Like if I don't know how to say this in a way that makes sense, then maybe I shouldn't say it. And I think, you know, I was actually thinking about this before we hopped on together. You know, I think too, also accepting the fact that, um, especially on social media, like, um, and even on like events I've spoken at, like, people are never going to understand me and that's okay. Like I can share the pieces of me that I choose to, but I don't need to try to explain myself like in 90 seconds. Like I can share what I share and those who need it will hopefully find it. And those who don't like, hopefully they'll just keep moving. Yeah. That's so good. You know? So just accepting that is, is like really hard for me, (laughs) but I think, you know, trying to challenge myself to that as well. And also like that it's okay to have unknowns. Like there are unknowns in my story that I just will never understand. Um, And I know that, you know, Chris and I have even talked about those variously over the years. And those are like very precious parts of my story that I hold very tightly. And it's, I think it's hard because especially like in, you know, my dad was a pastor. So growing up like in, religious community i think it's easy um to have people like use jesus to like justify everything in your life and you're like hold on (laughs) um so i think you know it's you know learning to be comfortable with the unknowns and not understanding why things happened but also understanding that that doesn't mean like your faith is weak or you're less of a christian it just means yeah things happen and we don't always understand them and that's okay I think that's given me a lot of freedom 
Um, and I try to share that with others too, because I think sometimes people look at me and they like, want to be like me. And I'm like, no, no, please. No. Like I want you to be yourself. And you know, part of that is understanding, like, it's okay if you don't understand this aspect of your story. Like it doesn't mean like you're not healing or, you know, you're less of an advocate or whatever. Some things are just hard. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Some things are just hard. And I think we so badly, whether we've lived through something or not, but I would imagine, especially if you have lived through something, we want that circle to close. Like we want full circle. And I just think when I, my heart for people that have experienced any type of abuse or trauma is that they would get to decide what full circle means to them. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's not always the big circle. Sometimes it's the little circles and you have to like take those wins. And so to hear you say, like, I was quite literally taught to not vocalize my needs. And now I can tell my husband what I need. That's a little full circle. And it doesn't always have to look like the big thing. Yeah. And getting to be yourself, getting to take up space in the world and use your voice and build relationships and pursue your dreams. That all matters. And I think, again, hearing those parts of your story where you are taking up space in the way that is meaningful to you and the way that you're showing up in an authentic and honest way and learning. I heard you say that several times, like, this is hard, but I'm learning how to do it. It's not something that we can just kind of snap into. It is that process of going, oh, I agreed to that and that did not feel good. I'm not going to do that again. Or man, I wish I would have asked more questions or gave more clarity. So it's just that process that I think we all need to have grace for each other. And I think for providers and other social service workers that are not people with lived experience, we need to like do the utmost we possibly can to be educated and to listen and to ask questions. Has there been an experience where someone has made you feel really safe when they've asked you to speak or to participate in something and just considered you in a way that was really helpful? Yeah. I had an instance where um, my friend was doing a book tour and she's like a foster mom and she's pretty like, she's a pretty big voice in the foster care community. And she was like in, in a nearby town. And so I was able to go and like see her and she like came up to me at intermission and she asked me if I'd be willing to like do a Q and a, and she basically said to me, like, you know, I really value your voice and I would love to, you know, have you answer some questions from these foster parents. And she also said like, but like, I'm willing to also be like the person who like just says, no, she's not going to answer that. So for her, just kind of like being like the buffer for me, I was like, wow, thank you for that. Like, cause not everybody does that. And I think too, like, you know, in very small ways, like every time I hop onto podcasts and they say like, if there's anything you don't want to talk about or like anything like that, like that always makes me feel so much better because not everybody says that. And I've had some instances where I've been asked questions like on the spot and I'm like, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> and I just say that I'm like, I don't want to answer that. Um, so I think people just, you know, being mindful that like these things are hard to talk about. And I think too, like whenever I finish speaking engagement or, whatever people are always like okay now go take care of yourself like I know like that was not 
an easy thing to do. Um, like that's always like, oh, okay, you thought of that. Like, cause I, sometimes I don't even think about that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go like, you know, whatever. And I like, go like lie down. I'm like, oh yeah, that might be a good idea. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, over the, the course of this talk, I've, the theme that I've heard you say is, you know, listening to your body, boundaries and communication. Like those are the three key factors of knowing when I'm uncomfortable listening to my body, you know, setting boundaries or, or having a friend come in and set boundaries for me and then communicating, trying to figure out how and best to communicate beforehand or even, you know, in, in the middle and I think that those are just three really big key factors to healthy, you know, living and, and healthy advocating and, and healthy doing this work. You know, those are the themes that keep coming up is we have to listen to our body. Our body is the warning, is the vessel that God gave us with an internal warning system. And when we have abuse and neglect and trauma, in order to survive, we have to not listen to our body's warning systems, right? And coming back to your body is healing from trauma. Listening to your body is, you know, that full circle win that you were talking about. And so sometimes listening to your body is enough. Listening to your body will tell you what boundaries you need and tell you where you need to communicate. And so it's, it's great that, you, you know, that has been the common theme that, that keeps coming up. Well, Tina, thank you so much for just being here and for sharing your story. I know I said it before, but I will say it again. I really admire you and am just so thankful for your voice, um, not just for what you share, which is so valuable, but for how you share it, the way that you navigate your life and your experience and other humans <laughs> with so much grace and truth. It really is a beautiful thing, and I wish you all the best. I know that you work for a nonprofit, and you have your own consulting business and your social media, so where can people find you? My Instagram is Tina Bauer, but it's Tina with two A's at the end and Bauer with two R's at the end. And then my business is experiencecareconsulting.com, and... Um, I work for America's Kids Belong. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And we'll put that in our show notes too, so that people can follow you. And yes, please follow Tina. Like really follow, follow Tina, um, obviously <laughs> to learn about foster care and adoption, but also learn to learn how to listen to people with lived experience, to learn how to have hard conversations in a gracious way. She models all of those things. So we're grateful that you were on today. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you. It was nice to meet you, Ruth. It was good to see you, Chris. It was nice to meet you too. You too. Always. Man. Wow. What a great episode and what great insight that Tina gave us into how, how to heal from trauma, how to celebrate those little wins, how to keep yourself supported while you do the work of advocating for others, using your story to advocate for others. And so, wow, that was just such a great, great, great episode. She's brilliant and just such a beautiful human. And I'm so, it's been so beautiful to watch her journey. And again, and I'm just going to say it again, like look at her Instagram because not only is the information she is sharing so important, but again, just the way she 
talks and how she has these hard conversations, I've learned so much. So definitely recommend giving her a follow and checking out her work, especially if you are in that space or looking to be in that space. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend. For sure. Well, Faith, we're at the end of the episode. It comes whether we're ready or not. (laughs) I know. What are you going to do to fill up your emotional cup this week? Um, this week I am going to read. I, um, yeah, I've, I want to set aside some time to read and I've been wanting to join this book club. And one of my friends has a book club, but they're very strict on like, it's every week at this time. And just, it always seems like I can never go on that date or that time, but I've really wanted to be in it. And so I, I talked with some other friends and we started our own book club. And so I'm really excited to read a book and then to discuss it with, with friends. And so, um, yeah, that's what I'm going to do this week is get some girl time and some reading time and kind of blend them together. So I'm excited about that. That sounds like a dream. I love that. Yeah. What about you? What are you going to do to fill up your emotional cup? I think I just need, I just need my friends. Amen. I've really felt that in the last few months of like, I just need my people and, I need to be known and I need to know where they're at and stay connected. Doesn't it take so much work in adulthood to stay connected? (laughs) So hard. So it's so hard. hard. You have to be so intentional to stay connected to friendships. But to be honest, like when I think about, and again, no judgment to other people's lifestyles, but that like real housewives kind of life, you know, where you're just like, Mm. you have to really choose like all that to say I'm just grateful that like we have stuff to talk about there's our individual lives and really I have the best friends I have the best friends in the whole world I'm convinced of it yeah and they're all doing beautiful things and they're they're going through hard things and so to get to just come together and hope and dream and cry and laugh that's such a gift so yeah it really is even though it's hard to make time, I'm glad that there is so much depth there. It's always worth it. When you set aside the time, it's always worth it. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, that's what I'll be doing. Well, exciting. Sounds like we're both going to set aside time to to connect with others and to, and to fill our emotional, social connection cup. Yes, 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, it's the end of another great episode. Thank you guys so much for being That's here. That's a wrap. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Come back next time for the Full Cup Professional Podcast. Bye.